Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Gets his man, the tight end. That's Jason Dunn. And he's inside the 15, inside the 10. He's going in. And Green, here comes Glenn Steele to the end zone and caught by Jason Run. Dunn. 40 yard dashes. Marcus Dash. 40 yard dash. Marcus Dash. 40. Marcus Dash. Marcus Dash. 40 yard dash. Marcus Dash. You run the 40. Marcus Dash. Welcome back to Running the 40. I'm your host, Marcus Dash. This week, we're talking to former NFL tight end Jason Dunn. He was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in the second round in 1996 from Eastern Kentucky University. He later joined the Kansas City Chiefs where he spent seven seasons. To many NFL aficionados, he is known as one of the best blocking tight ends of all time, and he is personally one of my all-time favorite players. We discuss a variety of topics, including the evolution of the tight end position, the role of a blocking tight end in today's NFL, funny training camp stories, and his amazing Done for Kids Foundation. Take a listen. All right, guys, I'm here with Jason Dunn, former tight end, former Philadelphia Eagles tight end, and former Kansas City Chiefs tight end, and also EKU alum. How are you doing, Jason? Doing well. Doing well, Marcus. How are you doing? Pretty good, man. You know, just, just trying to plug along. You know, another day, another day, another day. Um, I, I, I guess the thing I always tell my friends is, you know, at least I, I, I could say, you know, I'm, I'm healthy, you know, my family's safe, and that's all, you know, that's all I can handle right now is the family and, and yourself, and that's it's another day, you know. How, how, how have you and your family been throughout this whole uh, uh, kind of pandemic? We, we've been we've been doing fine, actually. We've, uh, you know, the thing is, I, I am a, a big germaphobe, man. I, I kind of, uh, I, I've actually been kind of proactive. I was doing this probably last year, the year before, and it was crazy because, you know, my, my, my wife was just telling me, she was like, hey, like, you know what, you was doing all the, like, the uh, uh, sanitizing and stuff like that. I said, you know what, I was out one night and I seen, a guy come out of the bathroom, you know, you just have those happenstance. And we were out in the restaurant and I seen him just touching everything. It just seemed like he was just, you know, I was just like, man, this guy was just in the bathroom and didn't wash his hands, didn't do anything else things. And I just, I seen the people he was touching and stuff. And I remember he came over to kind of like shake my hand, like, hey, Jason. I'm like, hey, like I gave him like, what it was like, yeah. So the little, the barrier, but we, you know, our family, man, has been fine, man. We've been blessed to just being able to stay out of this, but uh, I've been extremely careful. Uh, you know, I have a, 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 my mom's 86 years old, so I go see her all the time. And I, I, I would hate to think that I took something to her that would, would be detrimental to her or anybody else in my family for that matter. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things, I mean, you bring up that, that's kind of been a phobia of mine. I, I, anytime I'm in the bathroom, I'm always, th- I'm always thinking about that. Like I'll be, you know, I'll be in the stall, you know, go number two. Right. And then I'll, I'll know someone comes in, I hear the door open at work. I'll, someone comes in, goes to the urinal and I don't hear, I don't hear any, or, or I'll hear the sink for like two seconds and then that's it. It's like, mm, you didn't wash your hands. I don't know where you put your hands on the sink just for no reason. And that's it. Like what? <laughs> but there's no, there's no, nothing to that. I, just, I don't get it. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I'm always thinking about that stuff. So um, now, now it's just making sure like I'm more uber sensitive with it, you know, and right. making sure I sanitize all the time and, you know, just, just trying to be proactive with everything. Well, um, I also tell you this, we, we've been, you know, just through this whole course of things, we we actually uh, have been going out even more, doing things outdoors. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm here in the state of Kentucky, which is just several things to do outdoors. But I, you know, we got into like kayaking, you know, some 
So rafting, you know, went camping. I mean, all those different things that I, you know, I, I had bought things to do, but I never got to do. And then here, here we go we're, we're right. doing it because of this, you know, this situation. So. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, my, my nieces and nephews, you know, going outside and doing stuff, you know, they, they do sports, but now you go outside more often, right? Cause I mean, you can't be, you're, you're cooped up inside all day. You want to get outside. So you're, you're going doing those activities that, you know, people are usually using their phones or laptops and now you're doing that too much during this pandemic. And now you're going outside again. So it's kind of giving that new life to like the, the, the new age kids who didn't really have never really been the outdoors, their main source of activity and entertainment. So this is, this is good right, right. in that respect. Um, but okay. So let's kind of go to uh, football here. Um, as much as 2020 has been a downer, right? But for us Chiefs fans, it's been kind of a, the, at least the first part of the year has been a good year, right? We had the Super Bowl and we had the parade. Now you played with the Kansas City Chiefs for eight years. Yeah. You were at the parade with uh, Eric, uh, Eric Warfield, who I interviewed uh, a couple of weeks ago. You celebrated that. What was kind of seeing the parade, coming to Kansas City and seeing, uh, you know, finally uh, Clark Hunt uh, uh, host, host up the, uh, the trophy. What did that mean to you? Oh, man. It was – you know, I was so happy and excited for the fans out in Kansas City, um, and just to bring it home uh, was was you know a feeling of, of of joy and just uh, you know overwhelming state of, of, of like nirvana to to actually have that and see it up was man. I, I mean, it's hard to describe in words, you know, because you're kind of torn because. I was like, man, I wish it, you know, I had a chance to get it when I was here. But, man, now they got it, and I see the people come out. Man, it was such a, a wonderful feeling just to see the amount of people that came out to celebrate in this, uh, this, this win for the, for the entire city. But, yeah, man, I was, man, I was uh, you know, over, overjoyed because of the, for the win. Yeah, uh, I actually flew from D.C. to uh, Kansas City for the parade. It was, uh, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was a really good time. Um, you know, just seeing the culmination, like I was telling Eric, you think back to the 2003 team where, you know, that was, I was 10 years old at the time. And that was a team I, I looked up to, you know, like you, Gonzalez, Priest, that was a team that we thought was going to be the Super Bowl. I mean, like we didn't win that year. I was like, oh, we're never going to win. You know, it, 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 you kind of get jaded as a fan. But then when you obviously with, with things happen, you know, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, um, Brett Veach uh, and John Dorsey, and that, that kind of changed the, the you know the re renewed Kansas City in a way. So it was it was awesome. It was awesome to see all the former Chiefs that were there too to kind of celebrate that. That was that was a special part to me, for me. You know, I saw a big board. I saw I saw images of you know you were there. Warfield was there. Everyone was there to celebrate, and that that's what made it special to me to see you guys be, to be able to celebrate that. That was that was very important to me to see that. Yeah, you know what? And, and, and seeing all the other players there, and I, I, will, I will say this: there was uh, a couple of guys uh, that uh, I'm, I'm gonna say, uh, Andy Reid. So I was under Andy when I was in Philly for you know for a short time, but Andy was such a great guy. To see him get the Super Bowl too was was man, I was just so exhilarated for just for him to have that feeling, you know, to finally get it through all the things he's went through up in Philly, uh, just coming here and the years he's been in and the, the time he's put in, the guys that he's helped in the league. Uh, and my and, and a friend of mine, man, Eric Bieniemy, and so uh, you know these guys are guys, man. I'm just like, you know what? I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so so proud of you guys to achieve these things. And you know that's you know that connection. I I knew Eric. And I'll, I'll tell you a quick little story. So uh, I see Eric down at the uh, uh, um, the combine, and we were talking. He said, Jason, man. He said, you don't even remember the first time he met me. And I was just like, well. 
I'm like, man, I, I met you in Philly. He said, yeah, but he said, but you don't remember that you were the one that took me to the airport when I was leaving out. He said, man, you was playing this music and you put me on to this artist, you know, this guy was, uh, I forgot who it was, A plus or something like that. He said, man, we jammed all the way to, I said, man, you right, I remember that. I said, cause we sat in the car, we just started listening to music, had a great time. I said, man, Eric, I said, man, we go back a long ways. I mean, we're talking, that was like maybe 97, 98 wow. when that happened. You know, just bringing him in, man. But he's he's been just a solid dude, man, all the way through. Oh, Eric, man, I'm just I'm just so happy for him. And like I said, it's on Andy, too. But, uh, yeah, man, Eric, man, great guy, great guy. And Eric will get his due as a head coach, I'm sure, in the, in the coming years here. Uh, I, I think that was – the speculation was, oh, Andy will coach for two more years. And, uh, and then Coach Bianami would take over. But uh, we saw, uh, I guess, recently that uh, Andy got his extension. So uh, yeah. I'm sure Coach Bianami will, will, go, will go somewhere and be a great head coach somewhere. I mean, he's, he's proven that, you know. So um, so this is one thing. In the Super Bowl, usually you have the quarterbacks, right? And I know Jimmy G, he, he's, got the, he's got the quarterback look. But he's not, he's not that caliber. He's not Mahomes caliber, right? It's not the ones you can put Mahomes versus Jimmy G. It was more about the tight ends. It was the top tight ends going against each other. And kind of talking about the modern day tight ends to see that the tight ends are in this celebrated position now where you got Kittle and commercials, Kelsey commercials during your time, we had Gonzalez and Gates and they were, you know, amazing tight ends. Right. But they weren't like as marketable as Kittle and Kelsey, you know, being commercials. I don't remember seeing Gonzalez or Gates in national nationwide commercials, but we're seeing that with these two guys. What does it mean to you to see the tight end kind of emerge as that like celebrity kind of style uh, position? Uh, I tell you what, it, it's, it's, I'll say it's long past due. And I, and, and I think part of the reason is uh, just the importance of playing the position, what these guys are doing, as compared to like how offenses were when we were playing. And a, a lot of the glory used to go to the running backs, of course, and, and, and well-deserved, no doubt about it. Uh, but now we're just starting to see where now, where the offenses open up with the, with the, the passing game, these guys are, you know, catching a lot of footballs. They, they are, you know, the ones that are hard to, to, to bring down. I mean, they're determined in the game. I and mean, we see it with Gronk, like you said, Kittles. I mean, Travis. I mean, you name it. I mean, every team has a, a solid tight end that can go down the field. And it's just – it's a nightmare matching up against these guys because they're big, they're fast, they're strong. I mean, they run like deers. And so, so when, when you had where the guy was just getting all the – like the running backs, you would miss out having some of the tight ends. And so when you looked at it, like, you know, Travis – I mean, with himself, I mean, he just he just put a, a, a stamp on, you know, the tight end position modern day here in Kansas City. And, and Tony, man, was exceptional, the best ever to ever play the game. But we, you know, we had Priest, and we had Larry, and we had those guys that would, you know, we would market, like I said, deservingly so. Uh, and they had they do, but it was just like, hey, we're not quite ready for you to be on the, the, the front, you know, the, the stage just yet. And I'm, I'm sure Gonzalez would have told you, you know, you would have been the prettiest guy out there. You know, to do a commercial or, or you know, anything for, for any product. But th- I think that's what it is. And so these guys have, have in their own right, uh, just kind of just said, look, you know, we're, we're equal to, you know, your greatest wide receiver or your best running back. And, you know, we, we deservingly need to be up here. And, and to me, that's, that's absolutely warranted. Absolutely warranted. Now, this is a question I was kind of talking about with um, my buddies, you know, because I was, I was telling them that I'm interviewing Jason Dunn. A lot of my friends are casual football fans, right? I was telling them Jason Dunn, bet, best blocking tight end in NFL history. When I was growing up, uh, I, I told you this, when I, when I was growing up, my, my brother, who's a huge Chiefs fan, that's how I became a Chiefs fan, 
would make me watch footage of you and Tony Richardson. And he goes, when you get to high school, you're going to have to be a good blocker as a, as a, as a, as a I was, I was a tailback, but I was mostly when I got to high school, I was finally a slot receiver. And they're like, when you get to high school, you're going to have to be, stay on the field. You're fat, you're fast, but for your size, right? You're going to have to also be a good blocker too. And so growing up, it was, it, it was, it benefited me watching, being able to watch you and Tony Richardson every Sunday. And that was kind of, you know, most kids my age were watching Priest or even Dante, right? Dante Hall, I love Dante. But I would, I would watch you and um, Tony Richardson all the time to, ch- you know, show, you know, how to block properly, you know, stock blocking, all that stuff. Now, this is something that I, that people, when they talk about 90s basketball, right? People yeah. talk about how it was more physical. Do you think that Travis Kelsey and George Kittle would be able to play in nineties in, in nineties uh, football and how it was more physical in this, in, you know, and talking about having a tight end that blocks like this and George Kittle is a good blocker for, for today's game, right. but do you think these guys would be able to ha- hang and, and play ball in the nineties? Uh, I think they would, you know, I, I think it, you know, you, what you do is you kind of condition yourself for the time, you know, what you have. And so uh, I think Travis would have bulked up a uh, great route run to catch the ball. Well, uh, but I look at, you know, you know, in the 90s, I mean, you still had some tight ends that was kind of like that. It was kind of built that way. If you go back to it, I mean, look at Shannon Sharp, right? He wasn't a big tight end by no means. Uh, strong guy, but Shannon would just get in guys' way. You know, it wasn't like he's just going to, you know, just bury a defensive end. You know, he get his hands on him, you know, let Terrell Davis get past him, and that was it. He did his job. Uh, another guy, Jay Novacek, another guy that was, you know, wasn't really big in, in the frame in itself, really thin, kind of lanky kind of dude, but was able to sustain enough uh, to block. So I think it, without a doubt, those guys would have made a transition uh, based off of who they had to play with, what you had to do uh, in, in, in the 90s. Uh, Kittles, uh, without a doubt, man. I mean, I think he's he, he's probably one of the best inline blockers, of the tight ends now, uh, modern-day tight ends uh, that I've seen. And so – I mean, he's just a big, strong guy, period. And he, he looks to maul you. So you see the physical part of it, what he does, man. He, he puts his hands on you. I mean, when he, he's out there, he's, he's, he's ready to go. Uh, so those guys would have easily made that transition, no doubt about it. Uh, now, you know, we always have this, this debate. One of my friends made this, uh, this comment last night. He's like, look, you know, the, the, maybe because they don't do two a days like we used to do, two a days or three a days, we don't know how long they would have lasted with the physical aspect of it, you know, just because you just got to get your body ready for those things. But I think those guys would have, yeah, made a transition, no doubt about it. And uh, kind of on that, we were talking earlier about swing tackles and uh, blocking tight ends. So nowadays, people don't really know what blocking tight ends are. Everyone's always out to think about tight ends as, oh, oh, that, that guy's a good fantasy guy. I'm going I'm to draft him. People are talking about that. It's like more flashy, kind of what we're talking about. It's kind of the game's changed a little bit. So tight ends are more flashy. You know, catching balls, you know, scoring touchdowns. But you, like I said, you're the best blocking tight end ever. And now we're starting to see that teams are like the Patriots. They're bringing out swing tackles, taking out a tight end and putting in an extra blocker, an extra lineman, which back in the day, that really wasn't so much a thing because you had a tight end who specialized in, in being, a, being a blocker. And you know, that's why George Kittle's blocking abilities are so good because you don't really see, you don't really talk about their blocking abilities anymore. It's more about, uh, Staying in for a couple seconds and getting out and doing your route, but you kind of made your made your bank in blocking and being a blocking tight end, specializing in that. And you and you know, as a fan, when you think of LJ and you think of Priest Holmes, you don't think about those guys without you and Willie Rope. Those are the two two guys that come to mind when I think of those running backs. 
But do you do you do you see the uh, blocking tight end coming back, making a comeback, even with the swing tackles? Do you think, or do you think that's just a kind of a gimmick that they're doing today? And do you think the block tight ends will come back? You know, I think teams actually what you you end up doing is kind of putting yourself in a box, and you're, you're limited to yourself what you can do offensively. Uh, and sometimes you get the the back, big tackles in, so it's like okay, we can run the football. But then if you try to do a passing with this guy, I mean, it's only so much you can necessarily do. Yeah, it's a little gimmick in a, you know in, in the end zone. But if you need a guy to, you know, actually stretch the field, uh, and, and the thing was, uh, I would, I would, without a doubt, would push myself down the field. I could get open. I, I mean, you know, I had a knee injury in Philly, but man, I used to run a, a four four uh, seven uh, when I came out in the draft. So I knew I could, you know, get open and do a lot more things with the, a guy with my ability. Uh, so that that was a staple in it. And we, and if you've seen the trend. Me and Tony kind of – we started that trend of like two tight ends in a game that was just absolutely mauling people. And t- teams couldn't stop it because it's just like, okay, what are they going to run? They're going to pass? You know, so they had to be ready for everything. So now what it is is when you bring this swing tackle in, it's like, okay, they're going to run the football. You know, all we had to do is just hold him on the line because he can't really get open. He's not really running routes. So that's a skill set in, his, in, in itself. You know, the techniques and the nuances about running routes and getting open. Uh but I think when, you, when teams start looking at it like, man, do we want to bring an extra tackle in for this play? Because now they know what we're doing. And maybe now all of a sudden we only have like three receivers out where we could actually like put four or five. Uh, and, and I think teams get limited to that way. But I see teams start to think like, hey, you know what? Maybe we need that guy. I don't care if we just – one guy that we can find we can do all these things. So I used to coach at, uh, at Kentucky State uh, and – you know, I talked to several scouts, and they were just like, man, Jason, man, we just we don't have guys like you anymore. We just, we just don't. We don't, we don't have guys that, that is going to stand up on Sunday and block defensive ends. They took me to the, the defensive end uh, uh, workout when I, when I was there at the combine, and they said, the scout, I remember he said, I want everybody to come here. He said, when you come in on Sunday and we're evaluating you, we want to know, can you go against a guy like Jason Dunn on every single play? Can you? What are you going to do to be able to stop him? And they, do, they just went through and, and just talked about, you know, things I, I would do, but then also, too, the passing aspect. You know, he's fast, he's big, he's quick with his feet, athletic. He's like, that's how I'm going to measure you during this time. What would you be able to do against a guy like this? And so it just kind of, I was like, wow, like, never thought of it, right? Because now we see today in this age, defensive ends, I think, like, man, we got a guy like, he's got to line it up. You know, two yards outside of me. He's not going to block me. I ain't worried about a guy like that. So I think, it, you know, you bring a, a different dynamic to a team to get a guy uh, that could do both, you know, catch the football and can block. Uh, so I don't know if it's a trend. It may be a trend, but I know teams know that they're limiting themselves when they had to bring in a swing tackle. Right. Yeah, and, and like, in, it's easier to do. It's bringing it bring a guy an extra blocker instead, you know, just having, you know, a guy who can do both things. And you have to, and the defense has to think about, is he going to stay in a block or is he going to go out for a route? And, he, and he, he's a route runner. He can do that, you know. So it, it, it's, it's interesting, and I think teams should bring that back. Um, I'm, like I said, as a, as a young as a young striker, I watched I watched a guy like you, and I, and I idolized Jason Dunn, his blocking abilities. I'm sure not many 10-year-olds can say that, but I <laughs> – Thank you. I appreciate that. I, and I appreciate your brother telling you that, you know, you, you better get ready to do things like that. You're looking at me. So hats off to your brother, man, for saying those things. Yeah. <laughs>
I'll definitely let him know. Um, so you kind of talked about training camp, you know, two days and, you know, uh, three days. I'm, I'm assuming you, you guys are doing three days back in the day as well, correct? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, so Eric Warfield told me a funny story about uh, a certain practice. I was asking for some training camp stories. And he said there was one day, and he said, you know, no one touched his priest home. He was the ticket. No one touched him, he said. But one day, Eric, uh, Greg Wesley came through and just laid him out. And then not only did he lay him out, he stood over him. And he said that at that point, he goes, you, you have Rove, Brian Waters, everyone, you all coming over, and there was kind of a tussle. And he said he just remembers that specific moment because not only did Wesley tackle him, Wesley stood over him, like, you know, like Allen Iverson or Tyrone Lue kind of thing, it seemed like. Do you, do, you, do you remember that? Do you remember that day? Absolutely, 100%. I mean, I tell this story all the time. Uh, and, and, you know, when I was talking to other coaches, I'm like, look, you got to protect your, your, you know, your money guy, which at the time was Priest. And I said, man, the thing is, Priest came through the line blazing, you know, got through. And, and what we always do, it was always uh, uh, reiterated to us, finish a play, finish a play. So Al Saunders was always like, look, when you get through the line, you don't stop. You always finish your play. Run down, score anyway. They hit you and stuff. So I guess the defense got tired of this. They just got tired of because it made them look bad. Yeah, and I get that. It, you know, it's like, oh, okay, we tackled him. Like, why don't you just stop? We touch him. So G West comes in, Greg Wesley comes in, just blast, boom, hits Priest. And so he's standing over top, and everybody's just like, hey, what's going on? I seen Priest. Got up. Unbuckled his chin strap, took his helmet off, and sat on the side of the rest of practice. Like, man, I'm not going back in after that. I'm not. I'm not doing this. And and the thing is, I was just like, look, Priest knew at that point. Like, look, we need you on Sunday. We need you during the season. Doing this right now is not. Hey, it's it's not worth it. And I remember at the end of the practice, Coach Ramil goes crazy. He's just going like, look, we all hit this guy. You know, he's. What what good does it do to hit our guys like this? And I'm, you know, it'll make you a tough guy to do at the priest, you know, during this time. We need him on something. And I was just like, yeah, man, I, you know, and everybody got it. But we we kind of understand the frustration of the defense, you know, because it's like, okay, like this, it's making us look bad, right? We we constantly getting fussed at by the defense. Oh, you, it's like, man, we touched him. What, you know, what do you want to do? So I guess it was a message from the defense. At least Greg West is like, okay, and I, you know what? Let me strap up because next time priest come here tiptoeing. I'm gonna make you pay for it. So yeah, I remember that man. It was it was it was crazy. There's been a lot of uh, different plays like that. Uh, and if you if you if you allow me, I'll tell another story about uh, Greg Wesley up here. Let's hear it. So we're uh, you know River Falls end up going to Mankato to play the uh, Minnesota Vikings during some uh, training camp. Uh, and so of course they got Randy Moss, right? Randy Moss. Well, we practice on two different fields. So the defense will practice against their offense in the stadium, but we will practice outside the stadium at the other practice fields. Well, they were playing dirty against us, their defense, you know, hitting us afterwards and, you know, catching guys. And, and you know, it was just guys getting frustrated. So it was some tussle over there on the outside field. And then, like, after you get this little break, everybody comes and converges together. When we come in, we find out that, their offense is playing dirty against our defense. So he's like, okay, like, this is this is it. This is over with all of this. You know what I'm saying? Because they've been doing some dirty plays. One of the tight ends uh, actually hit him out there on the field, Billy Bur- Baber at the time. Uh, and so we all go into the stadium for the end of practice, you know, to finish up. And so I remember Randy Moss catches a football over on the sideline. I oh, know. 
kind of little tiptoed, you know, looking pretty. You know, Randy was just tall, lanky, you know, <laughs> leaned out. You know, just it, it was just a capture moment. And Greg Wesley comes out of nowhere and wham, lays him out. And he puts him underneath the bleachers, absolutely underneath the bleachers. And you've seen everything just erupt. And one of the coaches, <laughs> I won't say who, but he's just like, go get him. And we just, it was like a big melee. It was just like, like you know, you see the, like, the little battles of like, uh, like Braveheart. Like um, the two armies just coming together like, clink, clink, clink. And that's how it was. And, man, we've seen it. Matter of fact, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Brock. What's his name? Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar, yeah. Brock Lesnar was, was a defensive tackle at the time. Well, our uh, center, uh, a rookie center, Jonathan Hamilton, I think it was, comes over, picks Brock Lesnar up, dumps him on his, you know, because he was, you know, he came in being, you know, the wrestler, this, and I'm like, man, he got his butt handed to him, you know, picked up, dumped on, and it was just, it was just a crazy melee for like 10 minutes, like an easy 10 minutes, just fighting, fighting, and Coach Mill was like, that's it, we are out of here, we're, we're gone. And we end up going, Coach, he, he you know, of course, fusses at us. We get on the bus, driving back. He's like, I don't even want nobody getting dressed. Just get on the bus. Like, it's just embarrassing or stuff. And so, you know, we're like, Coach, look, they, they've been playing dirty the whole, the whole, you know, whole day. You know, like, nobody said anything about them when they was playing dirty. All we wanted to do was just give them some, you know, some deserved justice to their pretty boy, uh, Randy Moss, just let him know. That it just ain't gonna be that type of day here anymore. So yeah, man, I remember that. It's crazy, crazy melee. So I remember yeah. the Brock. Le I remember there was a, a tussle between Brock Lesnar and, and the team. I just didn't realize it, it sparked from Wesley laying out uh, Randy Moss. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow, man. that's insane. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, uh, yeah. I was I was gonna say you have any interesting stories from training camp? Yeah, that's that. That's the, that takes the cake right there. <laughs> great times, great times, great times. Yeah. <laughs> now so. Hard Knocks is on right now, um, and you were on, what was it, 06 or 07? Uh, I think it's 06, 06 season. 06, 06. season, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm, no. Now, and wa just watching that, there's there's so many lines I said, my, my brother and I still say to each other, like when they were doing the rookie hazing with Dwayne Bow and Coach Herms, like, sign's got to say hot, it's got to say hot. And yeah. just, just stuff like that, it's like, and you see, he's always been, he's always got the, the best one-liners, you know. Uh, you play to win the game. It's like that, that, that's, that's, his, that's his MO. He's got the one-liner down. You drive by that Krispy Kreme and you see that sign say hot, you pull your car in there and you get me a dozen glazed donuts and you make sure they on my desk Saturday morning. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, her, her was, yeah, he was just known for the one-liners. That, that was his thing. Uh, trying to think, you know, of course, uh, during that segment of the, of the Hard Knocks, uh, there was two things. Uh, so, me and him had gotten into it a little bit. You know, we just kind of, uh, this is the year I was hurt. So let me think when I was coming in that year, it was 2000, it might have been 2007, I think this year. Um, and so when I wasn't practicing and I was kind of on the PUP list, uh, you know, usually, I, you know, when I was under the meal, I had the very first room on the first floor. Well, I come up there put my bags down and I already know my room is what it's going to be. It's been there like that for the past, you know, six years, you know, first one. Mm. And sure enough, he's like, well, Jason, you know, we got you on the second floor. And I'm looking at him like, it's gotta be a mistake, right? Those, you know, you, 
nobody who's a veteran goes on the second floor for any reason, other than, you know, if you don't have enough rooms on the first floor. Right. You know, guys kind of, you know, get up to the second floor. And who, who was in your room? Do you, do you remember who was in your room? I, uh, no, I don't, I'm not sure who was in my room, but I do remember that they were holding an extra room because Larry hadn't signed yet. So when Larry Johnson hadn't signed. And so they was holding an open room for Larry, of course. And I think Priest was coming back. That's when Priest came back off his little neck injury. It was, you know, so me and him both were on the, the PUP list. Uh, so we're, we're, I'm looking at like, what are you talking about? I'm on the second floor. I'm like, yeah, it's got to be a joke, right? Somebody's playing a, a cruel joke on me. They're like, yeah, you know, looking at me because they didn't want to tell me. You could tell they were scared, like, oh, man, like, Jason, uh, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you got to go talk to her. So I'm like, oh, no. So I grab the key. I walk over to, you know, the coach's dorm. And they have uh, the coaches all talking to there in the meeting. So I come, knock on the door, put my head in it. You know, everybody's like, hey, Jason, what's going on? I'm like, hey, you know, as, hey, Herm, uh, can I talk to you real quick for a second? Yeah, JD, yeah, don't worry about it. I'll be out there in a second. I'll be out there. I said, okay. So I'm sitting over there, and sure enough, so he, he's coming out. As soon as he comes out, the cameras just come in like, right, during this whole interaction. And so I'm just like, oh, Herm, man, what's, you know, what's the deal? Why, why you have me on the second floor? He's like, JD, look, 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 man. He said, look, I, you know, you wasn't practicing, and I, I was thinking, you know, let's give the first floor to guys who, you know, are practicing and going to be tired and all of this and stuff like that. And I'm like, look, Herm, wait a minute. Look, I've earned those stripes. I don't care what guys, those, those guys that are practicing are trying to earn where I'm at. All right? I, I, I haven't been in the league for 12 years. I have earned my stripes. I said, I said think about it. I said, you would have never thought this was fair when you were playing. I mean, come on, man. You, you, you know what this is. Like, we won't have to sit there. He said, J.D., man, look. He said, you know, he said, you know, I apologize. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He said, he said, the thing is, and we got a room ready for Larry when he gets something. I'm like, Larry ain't even here. Girl, we ain't even seen Larry. He ain't heard how no hair. He might be in Penn State or Hawaii. We have no idea where Larry's at. He's like, yeah, I, I got it. He said, man, he said, that's all I was thinking. He said, but look, we'll try to make arrangements to get you on the first floor. I said, look, Herm, look, get me on the first floor. Telling you right now, this right here is not fair, man. I'm not standing for it. He said, look, J.D., he said, man, look, I, t- I tell you this. I promise you this, all right? And just think of other guys. If you can, man, just let the guys, you know, you know, just practice and let them have first floor. I said, look, I'm going to talk to you about this every single day, every single day until you put me on the first floor. He's like, I, I got it, J.D. He said, man, look, just, you know, just, he said, when you, I promise you this. When you start practicing and when you get out there, I will make sure I will move Two guys off the first floor just for you, right? And so, man, I was so pissed. But I was the, the camera thing just coming in with the whole interaction, man, was just kind of it was weird in itself because it almost seemed like it was almost a setup in a, in a sense, you know. Uh, and I remember I went back to the dorm and I had my my, my uh, bags and stuff still sitting down on, on the bottom floor. I'm like, man, I ain't going nowhere. I'm not leaving nowhere. I'm, I'm sitting right here on the first floor. So I give me a room. My bags would be in this lobby until we make this thing right. So I remember, I, you know, I called my brother and I was telling him, I said, man, I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to fly home. Because this stuff right here is not, this, this is crazy, you know, just to have to deal with it. So good, it's good that he talked me down. Like, look, you know, just, you know, kind of see the bigger picture of things. But I was like, all right, you know, so I just, uh, you know, kind of. But I, I will say this, from that moment, I was kind of allowed to kind of do what I wanted to do. 
like during training camp, you know, left out, you know, veteran Jay. Yeah, Jay, hey, Jay what, whatever you need, Jay, oh, go ahead, Jason. You know, so it, it was kind of, he was gracious enough to at least let me slide with a lot of other things that other people didn't, you know, were able to get away with. Um, but Herman he used to always bring it in the meetings. I don't remember the time the, the guys were dancing in the locker room. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That, that, oh, my goodness. That meeting was so funny. They brought the video up. He says, man, who's these guys think they the black chipping dance? I was like, what? The, you know, <laughs> you know the guys are just booty shaking at all times. It was crazy. If you've ever seen the segment, I'm sure you've seen the segment. It was just crazy. Yeah, it was Bernard Pollard, I think. Bernard Pollard. Yeah, B-pop. Yeah, Bernard Pollard. Doing, you know, doing the splits. And, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Okay, like Bernard. <laughs> that was that was that was probably one of my favorite. Like, obviously, it was my favorite hard knocks, but that that episode probably takes the cake. Is probably one of the one of the best. <laughs> Go ahead, run this. One of the best. Go down in history is one of the weirdest, and probably one of the best. I don't know what you know. But also, and also there was the, the other cutaway with uh, Tank Tyler in, in, uh, in a Tim Crumrise meeting where he, he just passing out snoring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, that was funny. You know, and sometimes you don't see that part on the, on the offensive side because locker rooms are separated. But then, you know, of course, you know, Tank, they have fallen asleep and just snoring and all this. There, this, this. But now, I, I love the glimpse into, like, the real life of, like, that, that training camp. Are you guys watching it as the season's going on too? Is it because I mean, obviously they didn't show that. You guys were you guys watching Hard Knocks episodes while it was going on? Cause I, and then they try to coincide with training camp a week behind. It seems. Yeah, so yeah, so what they were trying to do at least hold off for like a couple of weeks before, before guys could see it, which was rightly so. Right. Uh, I, I'll tell you this, man. That Hard Knocks deal is just it. It, it to us, and, and maybe as far as as I remember. Usually teams that do the hard knocks don't really do well. Mm. I don't know if you know that trend, but I, I've seen that. Maybe one team possibly that was okay, maybe made the playoffs. But other, usually when teams doing hard knocks, there's an issue and a problem. Just because, excuse me, you see guys who are trying to play to the camera. Right. And they're worried so much about the camera and those things that you lose the team unity and things of what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish. You know, everybody wants to be a Hollywood. You know, I heard a guy the other day, like, you know, every boxer want to be an actor and every actor wants to be a boxer. And so you start seeing football players who, you know, wearing shades and want to be Hollywood and, you know, this is my 15 minutes of fame and all of that. And so you lose sight of the things you're trying to accomplish with training camp is intended to be about togetherness and unity and guys just, you know, really getting into putting the team, a unison and harmony together. And you lose a little bit of that because the cameras are behind you and they're doing a story. And then all of a sudden you start making the story about you and they start making it more of an individual thing. So I, I didn't really, I didn't appreciate what Hard Knocks did. I think it gives a good glimpse into it, but you know, the, uh, when they kind of come in and invade your, your privacy in the areas at times, uh, you know, I, I didn't really like it. Matter of fact, I know it, several times in our, in our meeting rooms, we'd be like, nah, we don't know. Nah, we don't want the cameras in here. You know, uh, can, you know, I'm not going to do Can we get the note? Uh, start meeting. Go somewhere else. You know, so. 
And is that more of like a veteran kind of thing? The veteran guys don't really want the cameras. I'm sure the, the rookies and the young guys don't don't mind the lights. I mean, obviously we just talked about Tank Tyler and Bernard Pollard. Those are that was the rookie seasons, and they were they're all over the camera in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I guess you know when you come in, you, you don't quite know as a rookie. You don't know what to expect. So to you, everything's wide open. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. And that's what it is. You just you you kind of open to a little bit of everything. But veterans kind of know a little bit. Like, hey, you know, all right, this. Is, may not be the best time to do it or, you know, just, you know, stay away from here a little bit more because you understand that dynamic uh, of what it has to be uh, as a veteran. Uh, and you just learned that over the years that, you know, the, that that team unity is is absolutely uh, uh, imperative uh, for you to, to win a championship. Right. Wow. I, I really love the, hearing those those training camp stories and, and, and the hard knocks aspect is like, you watch it, and you're like, gosh, what are these guys, what, what are they thinking having a camera in the background? Because it's, it's just like you're mixing reality TV with, like, life, you know? It's, and it's, and it, you know, like, you me, Rod, Rod Gardner getting cut. I mean, you're seeing guys getting cut on those episodes, and it's like, geez, like, that's, I mean, that's, a, that's a man's life. And we're seeing it, and, like, you know, it's becoming, like, a lot of people would make, I mean, if, if only Twitter was around back then, I mean, a lot of this stuff, I mean, people would be making fun of, I mean, all these things. Um, yeah. But uh, so let's kind of fast forward uh, past uh, football. So since football, um, you became a football coach uh, for a little bit, and you also sound, you also started a foundation. Uh, can you kind of talk to us about the, the foundation? Sure. So uh, I started this foundation out uh, in Kansas City when I played uh, about 2003. Uh, it was called Dump for Kids. Uh, and what I, I did is I started putting more of my time and effort into uh, helping kids out uh, building a coalition with uh, Salvation Army, uh, United Way, uh, just to give grants and scholarships to underdeveloped uh, areas, teens and, and children, and also to uh, helping out uh, widows and kids, uh, veterans uh, that, you know, had fought in, uh, in the Iraq or, you know, the Middle East at the time. And so uh, that was my cause done for kids. I started with, the, with my brothers and sisters actually here in Lexington and wanted to expand it out there in Kansas City. Uh, and so now, uh, having that during that time, and I got into doing the coaching, uh, my uh, charity and organization uh, kept going on. But now, uh, I've seen a need uh, for uh, where being the coach and seeing the coaches and, the, and how these kids are starting to develop and maybe the mindset of some of the things that, you know, the beliefs or uh, not necessarily having the mentoring or the character building uh, that I had uh, when I was coming up. And so when I was coaching down at Kentucky State, I seen kids that was actually coming in that may not have uh, learned independence and responsibility and accountability. So that's what, you know, done for kids now is being expanded. I brought it out here to the uh, state of Kentucky uh, and I wanted to do a little bit more of like promoting academics, promoting uh, financial literacy, uh, more uh, uh, world application problems to things and so i have just guys uh, i just talked about you know different resources to do to to help me out uh and and i wanted to bring it here to the entire state of kentucky and hopefully it develops even more maybe to make it more nationally uh uh beneficial to people as well uh but that's pretty much what dump for kids has been it's just you know i've been you know kind of giving scholarships and grants to you know people that's in the salvation army i used to be like one of the spokespeople out there for the salvation army in kansas city uh and that's, I, I've been looking at this time and I just want to, I want to do more, especially in light of everything that's going on now. Uh, 
wanting to be more involved into making this world a better place. Uh, and I think that will give me the vehicle to do so. Because I knew, like, really coaching, you only have really your team that you can only be, like, an influence to. And I would see kids on the other sides and other coaches. And, and a lot of this was, like, bad behavior by other coaches. And so we would wonder, like, well, why are the kids acting out or they're having fights out on the field? Well, sometimes some of the coaches didn't really have any, any uh, direction about how they taught kids or didn't really emphasize uh, structure or uh, characterability. Uh, and so I think some of those standards are lost now today uh, with the coaches because now I see it uh, shoot, even on high school, college level, uh, that they're missing that. And, I, and I'm telling you from organizations from <clears throat> uh, like the best high schools to like the best colleges, sometimes like, man, kids are just, they're not being taught these things. It's not being emphasized. And I think sometimes some coaches take it for granted that your responsibility first is to these kids. When you bring them in and you're talking to these parents in their living room or wherever it may be, you're promising, I'm going to take care of this kid. That promise has to be kept. That accountability has to be met. Sometimes I think sometimes these big organizations or these big you know colleges kind of lose sight of that because it is about the money and whatnot. That's why I appreciate Nick Saban for the things that he does because he's direct, straightforward. This is how it's going to be. I'm going to develop your child. I'm going to hold him to a standard. And this is how it's going to be if you're going to continue to play here. And so I think he's done a, a, a tremendous job of those things. And so we just want to be able to give you know the skill sets and accountability and things of those natures for kids to be able to strive and become better uh, human beings and better men. Yeah, and I think with, with your foundation, which sounds uh, incredible, I think with the pandemic and a lot of stuff that's going on now, I think it's even more of a, a need for for done for kids. Um, a lot of kids, you know, we'll get into it later with my final question, um, but I think a lot of kids, you know, may, may, may need this guidance in, 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 in these times where, you know, we're going to talk about later, but there's going to be no, there's going to be in some states and some areas that may, may there's not going to be any football. And right. what, what, what can kids do in that, in that, in that meantime, what, what, what kind of pursuit, what, what are the pursuits that can they, can they, you know, do in that, in that meantime. So um, I think it's, I think, I think it's great. Jason. I, I really, you know, I, I read about it online, but hearing you speak about it, I, I felt it. So I, I, I really do enjoy that. And I used to work a lot with the Salvation Army. I, um, I was a local news reporter and I did a lot of stories uh, with Salvation Army, generally around the holidays, but I yeah. did a lot of stories with them and uh, it's a really great foundation. Um, so that's it. Dumb for Kids sounds amazing. All right, so we're gonna get to the, the, the fun part here. We're gonna go to the, uh, the final 40 yard dash. Uh, was the rapid question round. Uh, so first question, Jason, I'm asking everybody this. You already alluded to it earlier, but what was your fastest 40 yard dash? Best 40 yard was four, four, five in college. So I, I ran a four, four, seven uh, for my, my pro day uh, going into the draft. Which, you know, like probably starting to watch football around 02, 03 when I was nine or 10, like, seriously watching it. I, I just see, imagine you run a four, four, five, just crazy to me. I, I, I it's, yeah. were you, okay, were you as good of a blocker um, before the, the injury you had? Because obviously the injury kind of impacted your speed, I'm sure. It did. Uh, you know what? And, and I was. So I came from a system at Eastern Kentucky University, which uh, uh, was actually highly regarded as one of the, the, the best uh, Division One AA schools, you know, in the nation. Uh, we have several national championships, but we had our, our whole offense was just built on running the football. So I didn't catch a, a ton of footballs in, in, in college, but 
uh, I, we would have running backs, man, the guys that got to the, to the NFL, uh, Philadelphia, you know, Arizona. We had several guys, uh, the, uh, what's the name, of Brown, to went to uh, New York Jets. And so we just have a, a history of, of great running backs. So ours is like inline blocking. But, I, you know, I get a morsel every once in a while. I actually had uh, four touchdowns off tight end reverses. And Are you so, serious? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you have tape of this? I do. I do. I you gotta do. send that to me. You gotta send that to me. I will. Uh, and the thing is, we, we actually tried to uh, incorporate it when I got to Philly because of my speed. So I, I yeah, I, I was I was a fast guy, man. I was you know I was big and fast, man. Big, fast, and strong. Of course, in Eastern Kentucky, didn't catch a lot of passes. Watch him when his tight end reverse. You see, this is a kid that's 260 pounds. He can run. He ran a 4.51 during an individual workout. Tremendous strength. Did 34 reps during a workout. Look at this ability, Joe. This is a kid, 260 pounds. So I tell you, he can motor. He's just not a big, slow tight end who can't get uh, out of his off the ball. So I, I could do it all when I came out. I, you know, and I'll tell you this, and a lot of people don't know this. So when I came out in my draft, I was rated the number one tight end in the entire nation at Eastern Kentucky University. Out of all the schools in the, in, in the nation, I was rated number one. So you, you, went, you, went a, you went a second round. You went high. I went high, second round, yeah. I was supposed to be a first-rounder, and Philly called me. Uh, let me see who else called me from that time. I had uh, Minnesota call me. Uh, the Ravens called me. I had several teams in the first round that was, that was vying for me. So – you know, I was, I was supposed to be a first-rounder, late first-rounder, and end up finding it to the second round, but I was the third tight end taken overall, so. Philadelphia has selected Jason Dunn, there it is. tight end, Eastern Kentucky. Well, I would tell you two things. They have Denver selected a, a player that some had going late first, and any deal for Johnny Mitchell is now done. That's right. With the selection of Jason Dunn. You were, hu you were huge, right? the best blocker of all time. What was your, uh, what was your uh, how many reps of uh, 225 did you do? What's your, your most? What was your Pete personal uh, record? So, I mean, I used to do reps of 225, you know, 36, you know, 37 times. And I think I, in the combine, I think I got 32. Wow. Or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> they cheated me. They cheated me. You know, combine, they make sure you lock in. I was like, hey, I, I locked like 40s out. But, yeah, I, they gave me 31. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, next question. So, Throughout your entire career, you you caught eleven touchdowns during your during your career in the regular season. Mm -hmm. Who were the three quarterbacks that threw you those touchdowns? Uh, quarterbacks that threw me the touchdowns. So my first quarter, my first touchdown was against uh, the uh, the Panthers and Ty Detmer. Second quarter, same score. The ball on the nine and Detmer for the rookie tight end Jason. Well done. BYU Heisman Trophy winner uh, threw me my first touchdown from a uh, uh, it was a uh, stick and go you know tight end pump yeah and then my other touchdowns that during that era was Bobby Hoyne played at Ohio State that's his man the tight end that's Jason Dunn and he's inside the 15 inside the 10 and he's going in and the underdog Eagles take the lead on a 31 yard touchdown play and I think it's, I don't know if Ty's younger brother threw me a touchdown, but Coy, I think Coy might have threw me a touchdown also. Uh, from, from, he, uh, from, from my records, I, I just saw, I saw Ty, Bobby, and there's one, one more guy. Uh, well, Trent. Yeah. Of course, you know, Trent, yeah. That, you know, Ted used to feed me. Yeah, I, I, I used to love Trent, too. Like, hey, get open. This is yours. <laughs> 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 yeah.
<laughs> Over 100. This Third. is where the Chiefs love to go to Tony Gonzalez. Third and two, and they go to the other tight end, Dunn. So it's the other tight end, Dunn, who makes two big catches. They took the timeout. It was third down, a yard and a half short two. And Dunn over the middle gets into the end zone. I, I was looking. I was like, I was trying to make sure Todd Collins, if you guys, there was some garbage time game where Todd Collins came there and maybe threw, maybe threw a touchdown. But I, I, I didn't, I didn't see anything from, from Todd. Um, now this may be harder, but I, I don't know. Depending on how you look at this one, who did you catch your final two NFL catches from, and who were you guys playing? My final two catches, if I'm not mistaken, uh, was from Brody Croyle. Yep. And it was against Indianapolis. Uh, no, it was uh, actually Brody was one of them. There's, you got you caught two passes from two separate quarterbacks in the same game. Oh, okay, Brody, and then I, I guess it was uh, Damon. Yep. It? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Damon, it, it was against uh, it was against Detroit. Week oh, Detroit. Okay, okay. Second quarter lines up twelve nothing. Brody Coyle to Tony Gonzalez. Damon Heward would go the rest of the way, and he would do quite a job getting this Chiefs team back in it. Uh. It was good because, you know, Brody used to, when I, when I would, you know, run a little scout team, Brody used to say, hey, Jason, I'm going to feed you. Get open. I, so I, I was always had a connection. He always wanted to get the ball to me for some reason. I, I don't know, man. I, I appreciated Brody, uh, Brody for that, though. Uh, actually, my two dogs I got, I got from Brody. So Brody was just a great guy. Yeah, man, I got two labs, uh, two chocolate labs, man, and just beautiful dogs. And I got them, I guess I got them from Brody. So maybe it was why I was, you know, we had a connection. Did you still keep up with uh, Brody? Man, I, you know, I, I, I check every once in a while, but I haven't, I haven't spoken to him. You know, but I, you know how you just kind of look up to see what guys are doing. But I probably need to reach out. I like to reach out to him, though. You know, I need to do more of that. So, yeah. yeah. He, he, he was a special arm. I remember he was the uh, – before Saban and that new revolution to Alabama, he was the yeah. breaking records there. And he, he was kind of the uh, – the, before Saban came, he was that the new awakening of Alabama. And then yeah. Saban came, and then the rest is history. Right. Um. Okay, so back to some East, uh, some um, Eastern Kentucky uh, alum question right here. Who was the last drafted player from your alma mater, Eastern Kentucky University? Uh, last one I remember. I, I'm just I'm sure there's other guys. I know we had a, a, a quarterback, Boyle. Uh, I don't know where he went to. I think he might have went to the Jets or somewhere. I don't know if he got drafted. Uh, but I remember Noah Spence got drafted. Noah yeah. Spence, went, you know, went to uh, Tampa Bay. Because uh, I remember they uh, – I went back up for the uh, alumni game in Philadelphia, and they was playing up there, and I got to talk to him at the uh, locker room because my old tight ends coach from uh, Kansas City, uh, John Embry, was down at, at, at Tampa. So I went to go talk to him, and I was like, oh, let me go see, say hi to Noah. So, yeah, Noah Spence for sure. Yep, that, that's it. You're going with these uh, trivia questions here. Okay. Um, so we talked about hard knocks, but as a, as a, as a fan around that time um, – there was guys who he was talked about a lot. It was Bobby Scipio? Bobby Scipio. Was, was Bobby Scipio? I remember his highlights. So they showed him at the camp. They showed CFL highlights. I was like, man, this guy's amazing. Was he? Was he? Were his hands as good as they showed in, in uh, Hard Knocks? No, no doubt, no doubt. Bobby, Bobby was just a big receiver, great hands, soft, soft hands. You should call them pillow hands, you know, because he, he just, you know, grab the ball, just, it just, he just, you know, just wrap it up. But yeah, man, he had great hands. Uh, Great athletic ability. Uh, it was, you know, Bobby Scipio, when we seen him, it was kind of head scratching. I'm like, man, where's this guy being? Like, how's it, you know, he's coming in, and we didn't get this guy from the very beginning. But yeah, Bobby Scipio, man, was a man was a great receiver, big guy. 
uh, soft hands, good, you know, good receiver. Yeah, but he, yeah, he had, he had good hands, man. He did. Really good hands. And it was, you know, wow. <laughs> yeah. That blast in the past? Uh, yeah, <laughs> man. Bobby, Bobby, a good dude, man. Bobby's a good dude, for sure. Definitely. In that same in that same year, uh, there was Casey Printers who was also on that on that team. Yes, and I was a, I was a huge fan of his back back, back then, and I, I thought he should have made the team. And I think if a guy like that comes out now, I think a guy like that is a starting quarterback in the NFL now, just based on the talent and the way the game has changed in in the ten years, uh, over ten years now. Right. right. What was he when you when you guys watched? Was it like like damn this guy this guy's good? I mean, what was like? Were you guys kind of taken aback by his playing ability because he was so different from Heward? And any any quarterback that we had had around that era, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, he, he was just an, an unbelievable talent. Could run, could throw. I mean, was just uh, he had that that little bit of that swagger about him. Uh, you know, new defenses, man, but uh, great guy. Uh, but also, too, man, it was a winner. You know, he inspired guys when he got out there on, on, on the football field. You know, just coming to huddle, like, hey, man, look, we're gonna do it. And so, guys, absolutely, uh, uh, you know, relish guys like that. Uh, and yeah, I, I thought he should have made the team too. You know, of course we don't make those decisions, but you know, it's in the NFL, you don't quite get as many opportunities as, you, as people think you do. And so I remember that that last game when he kind of messed up and he threw an interception, like that was like the dagger or just the, the, the choice of decision that people's like, okay, like let's keep you know the pocket pass and stuff like that. But there's no doubt that he would have thrived in these offenses right now. And I think sometimes, you know, those guys just wouldn't appreciate it back then uh, as they are now. You see how things are going. I mean, I, you know, we, we had – when I was at Kentucky State, we had a kind of a running, throwing quarterback, which is so hard for defenses to deal with. <laughs> it is so hard. It is so difficult to do, you know, because you got an extra guy that can run the ball, right? And when he's running, he can just – I mean, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, who do you want to go to? Lamar Jackson? I mean, who, who do we want to go to? You know, Deshaun Watson. I mean, it's just these guys, because of their ability with their legs to do certain things, it's just a nightmare for defenses. So, yeah, yeah Casey, man, got a bad rap, but he would absolutely thrive during this time. Do, do you uh, – this is a question I ask, Eric. And this is nothing against Trent Green. Okay, no, yeah. yeah. But do you think if you all had had a Patrick Mahomes back in 2003 – we would see a Chiefs dynasty before this new a potential Chiefs dynasty. It's a tough question, Eric. That's a tough question. That is a tough question. Uh, and I think sometimes, man, you just got to have, you know, the right pieces. Everything has to be right. You know, because, okay, I'll say this. We were the, rated, the number one rated uh, offense for three years straight in the NFL. We were scoring more points than anybody has ever done it. So is it based off points? Or is it based off the whole dynamic of offense and defense and the things that you do? So I think it's, you know, Patrick Mahomes, man, without a doubt, everybody would love to have him. I would love to have him. But, you know, Trent wasn't a slouch by no means. I mean, he, you know, he had put up the numbers, but, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, what, what he's doing to the game, man, I mean, the dynasty, I think everything still had to be right. I mean, because I don't care what you do. It takes both. You know, it said offense win games, defense win championships. So you had to have a great defense. Uh, sometimes that was our Achilles heel because sometimes we, we would give up a lot of points while we were scoring some. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. But, you know, 10 is a hey, – that, that's my guy, 100%, man. But Patrick, 
without a doubt, would love to have him. His talent, man. His, I mean, his, I haven't seen anybody like him. The things he can do. But you'd like to say, yeah, absolutely, we would have won a championship and the dynasty would have been off of that. Yeah, sure, it's easy to say. But you don't quite know until you, know, you actually have it. And I think it's more just like seeing Patrick Mahomes and Priest Holmes in the same backfield with Tony Gonzalez, with Jason Dunn, and with that O-line. Our O-line's great now, but the O-line plus including you and Tony on the sides right there, that's, I mean, nothing beats that offensive line. And you can, you can, put, you can tell me a million offensive lines – Jonathan Ogden, that Ravens, the O-line was amazing, but nothing stopped, nothing tops that, o, that, that O-3 team that we had. Close. Not even close. I mean, we, we were – it was so bad, I mean, what we were doing, that everybody knew where we were going to run, and they couldn't stop us anyway. I mean, they would – like, when I go in motion, I hear Ray and all these guys calling it out. Hey, we're going to run. We taking names. We was taking names when we run the ball. Man, Big Willie out there, man, and Brian Waters. And, oh, man, come on. This, <laughs> you couldn't deal with us. So, I mean, those guys, man. T. Rich, man, Casey Wigman, uh, John Tate. Uh, we had Jordan Black. We had John Wellborn, Girl Charlie. I mean, we I just go through the list of guys. You know, Chris Bowe. I mean, we had just a myriad of guys that just could do all that. Not to mention uh, T. Rich you know, in the back. Come on. I mean, seriously. And it was crazy. I was doing research the other day on T. Rich. T. Rich was a, was a running back. I mean, and Brian Wallace was a running back when he came out of North Texas as well. So it's it's funny that both these guys ended up becoming the best blockers of their a totally different position. T. Rich becomes, you know, he was getting a lot of touches in the, in the mid '90s. Then Priest comes along. Then he go moves to his fullback position where he becomes this outstanding fullback. Brian Wallace, obviously, we all know he's one of the best guards of all time. Um, so and, and it's amazing humanitarian as well. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy. When you think about that team and the O line, and, and nothing will come to it. I don't think everything ever again will come close to that. I, I take the, I take it, man. That those those guys any day of the week, twice on Sunday, every day, all day. Period. No 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 doubt about it. Yeah, that that's the cavalry you want. If you're going anywhere, that, that, that that's that, that's the, that's the, the group you want. We, we used to always say, man, if you had to walk down uh, a dark alley with a, a number of guys, who would you take? All day. Sure. <laughs> um, so final question here, we kind of alluded to it earlier. Um, as a football coach uh, yourself, so you still have that, you know, that, that coaching in you. What advice do you want to give to athletes who are going to have a lot of spare time on their hands during this fall that won't have their sports, whether it is football, whether it is any sport, really? If you're going to be – what kind of advice do you want to give to these kids and these, even this co- these college kids who are going to have an all spare time? What advice do, would you give? Bestow your wisdom on them. Uh i tell you what, and I was saying this before, this is an introspection to your life right now. And you can kind of take, uh, you know, take a good measure about where you are uh, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. So I would work on yourself, all those things, mental preparation, physical preparation. Like you always have to stay prepared. So then you work on your craft, you work on your technique, you work on your skills. But also too, I, I was saying, at this time, you could work on your, your schooling. You go to school, get your academics together, you know? She would inspire even more. I'm like, this this year, guys can, you know, because, I mean, this people don't understand the roller coaster of, like, playing college ball and, you know, going to school and then going to practice and, you know, you go on to meetings and it's just, it's, it's aware on your body mentally and it's just emotionally, physically, it's just, a, a, you know, aware on you. But 
this is a time for inter, you know, introspection, but also too, you want to make sure that you're just working on your craft, you're working on your skills, honing, maybe even like your, 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 your media stuff, you know, work on your character. Uh, all these things are important. All these things teams look at. And even if you don't get drafted, this will carry on throughout life uh, to become just a better person. You know, go out and do some, some, some charity work. You know, so I always look at it like, you know, try to be the best human being, best man, best woman that you can possibly be during this time. And get prepared for it. And then, then when the time comes, you can take the robot storm. You're already prepared to do the things that you want to do, you know, because you put the time into the lab. You put the, the effort into getting yourself better. You start working on your mental. Uh, and so, but I tell these young guys, man, like when this time is, you need to capture this moment. Don't let it slip by with idle hands, not doing anything, playing video games and stuff like that. All those things are fun. They, they have a place for it, and I think you should get away doing those things. But also, too, if these things are very important to you, then you got to take these things serious. So that's that's pretty much my uh, uh, my input, my advice to younger guys, uh, just to get all those things prepared, right? Mental, physical, emotional, spiritual, uh, academics, everything, and just work on yourself. So you can be better fathers. Awesome! I really appreciate you coming on, Jason. Those are wise words there. I'm going to tell. I'm going to. I'm going to share this with my nephew, who's going. Who's going to have football? He's going his freshman year of high school. Uh, football season got canceled in the fall, so now he's got to look forward to the spring season. So he's got to keep his mind on the on the right stuff. And, and I think this is a amazing words of wisdom from 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 you. From one of my what and this, this I told Eric, who's one of my favorite players of all time. You were up there. You were up there as well. And as I said, I watched you growing up. So this is this whole thing's been kind of surreal talking to you. You know, um, but, and I'd love to have you on uh, to talk to talk some shop during the season to go, uh, to go uh, play, uh, game by game analysis. Love to, absolutely love to. Yeah, yeah, I would really enjoy that. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, count me in, man. Count me in. Let me get awesome. awesome. Thanks, Jason. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.